Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There's a line in a song that Lou Reed wrote. It goes, There's only one good use for a small town. You hate it, and you know you'll have to leave. He wrote it about Andy Warhol, who famously left Pittsburgh for New York. But to Lou Reed, it applies universally. Small towns build character. That's about it. He's suggesting that if you're a weird, artsy kid, you need to get out of Dodge. You can't make meaningful art. You can't really be yourself unless you're in a big city with other weirdos like you. Our next guest, Bridget Everett, is a comedian and singer. She grew up in a small town, Manhattan, Kansas. She went to college in Arizona, then landed in New York City. She started singing in clubs, then eventually formed a sort of comedy cabaret act. On stage, she is hilarious and very bawdy, but also, boy howdy, can she blow. Bridget Everett also stars on the wonderful show Somebody Somewhere, It is a quiet and gentle comedy set in the same Manhattan, Kansas, where Bridget grew up. She plays Sam on the show. Like Bridget, Sam is funny. Like Bridget, Sam can sing. But unlike Bridget, Sam stays put in Kansas. Instead of fantasizing about leaving home, she finds her people. She starts singing in front of crowds for the first time in forever. And she keeps close to her family, which, as you might guess, is a mixed blessing. It's a really wonderful show. It is funny and heart-aching. It's just, and she's so great in it. I was really excited to interview Bridget Everett before I got jury duty. So, our thanks to our correspondent, Jordan Cruciola, who filled in for me. She is a writer who has covered film for Vulture and Inverse, among others. She also hosts the terrific Maximum Fun show, Feeling Seen. On that show, guests dive deep into the first time they felt they really saw themselves on screen. So, Bridget Everett, let's kick things off with a clip from Somebody Somewhere, which just kicked off its second season on HBO. As I said, part of the arc of the show is Sam rediscovering her singing voice. It is a way for her to find community, a way to deal with the loss of her sister, and and really just a way to let loose. In the second season of the show, Sam starts seeing a vocal coach. In this scene, Sam's talking with her best friend, Joel, about a particular moment from her last lesson. She said, remember this feeling. It's like the first time you fell in love. Well, that's a good feeling, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You've never been in love? No, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> well, do you want to change that? No. I'd rather just sit around judging people that choose love and lose. 
Maybe we could join a dating site together. Oh, absolutely not. That's disgusting. Besides, <laughs> no. you're the only person I know that would do anything for me. Like, like stand guard for me on the side of the road when I gotta take a TT. Bridget Everett, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you. Welcome to me and to you. And here we are. And wow, you guys start off with a real, uh, you go right for the heart, right in the <laughs> right, right from the start. Yeah. And I, I, we are going right for the heart of it. I, which is, it like sets up two questions in my mind. So we'll just go ambitiously with the first one, which is, are you too reticent to welcome love into your life? Or do you have more of a receptive heart to that than Sam does? If you can believe it, I'm even more closed off than Sam. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've read a bit, like, in, in interviews with you where you talk about, like, sort of learning from Sam. And yeah. and you're like, she's, like, a mess in her own right. But, like, you, you know, I remember one quote reading you. I think it was an interview with The Playlist where you talked about her being brave. And you'd be like, and she's not even that brave. But she is brave in these ways that I find, like, sort of aspirational. And how has it been now? You're two seasons deep into playing this character how were you influencing each other? I think that, like, while Sam is shut off and while she moves at a, a much slower clip than a lot of society, mm-hmm. she definitely, you know, it's TV, so she's got to do, she's got to make some progress, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I mean, if it was a story about Bridget Everett, you just, you'd, you'd roll the cameras in, you know, cut to her on the couch, <laughs> cut to her getting up to the, go to the refrigerator, get a glass of wine, cut to her coming back to the couch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cut to her taking her dog for a walk, and cut back to the couch. <laughs> but, um, you know... Relatable content. Yeah, relatable, relatable content. content but, but boring. Look, I relate to a lot of the things that Sam feels, and the themes are very similar, obviously. And um, a lot of them come from, like, sort of my... Some sort of, like, emotional tripwires for me. Um, you know, which is the whole love thing. And But Sam is is scared but but she does make progress kind of inch by inch mm-hmm. and and but only because of the people around her mm-hmm. only because of like when you meet somebody like Joel who's so open and love but she feels very safe with him it can kind of it kind of gives her permission to to just try a little bit harder and mm-hmm. and push herself but for me, I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're getting the surrogate catharsis. I feel like yeah, that's, that's a vital a, that's component. That's such a good way to put it, surrogate catharsis. Yeah, it's like you get to dip your toe into it being like, is this for me? Yeah. Is this for me? And immediately once I start saying the words of Sam, I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to be somebody in your 40s. Yeah. I mean, I just turned 50, but just kind of waking up to, in season two more so, to kind of what your shirt says to live and die in LA, but to live, you know, she's yes. to live, you know, uh-huh. she's, she's living and, um, but, but small steps and, and Joel, you know, and the people around her are a little more awake, aware and, uh, and, and in full swing. So I don't know that I sort of got off topic for your, for your question, but you know, no, we're, the best I can. we're following the tributaries off the river. We're just seeing <laughs> where they take us to different parts of the of unknown, uncharted lands. Yeah. Um, and this is like this gets me into this question sooner than I thought I would be asking it. But with this clip and then talking about like, you know, Sam finding love and community. The thing that never fails to just wrap me up the most about this show is the central sort of love story of it is really Sam and Joel. 
Yeah. And this is a, and I, as a, anybody who listens to Feeling Seen will hear me say all the time, like, I am a panromantic gray asexual person. My love stories are the friends in my life. Yeah. Like, those are the great romances that I have. That's where yeah. it all goes. Yeah. And so when I get to watch something where friendships are posited as, like, the central thing around which sort of, like, all love and community revolves and it's not demoted in the hierarchy as, like, just friends compared to the, you know, the nomenclature of a significant other, that's a really gorgeous thing. And so I wanted to hear from you about, like, as you get further into the show and, you know, top of the call sheet, I've, I've you know, read you like that's that's the threshold that you've hit with this on an HBO program. I wanted to talk to you about that aspect of love and community within the show and the chosen family part of it. Well, you really put that so much better than I ever could. But <laughs> that is the thing. Yeah. Right. It's like for me, romantic relationships are not the central part of my life. Yeah. It's friendships. Those are the things that have changed me. And sometimes that can make me feel a little bit like an outsider, right? Because, you know, it's everybody around me finds love, has love, is in a relationship, and it's just not been what has sustained me. Mm-hmm. Or, um, And sometimes I almost feel a little embarrassed by that, you know, with, within my friend group, because I'm like, this is a thing that has value for me. And everybody's like, well, I have my person, and I have my person, and I have my emer- emergency contact, and and those things. And I feel like Sam's story is different, and, and, and it's similar to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Joel reminds me a lot of two very significant friendships in my life. Um, one of them is my friend, Zach Schaefer, who's my, you know, one of my first friends I met in New York, one of my best friends, and Mary Catherine, who plays my mm-hmm. sister, Trisha. You know, we were roommates for many years. Mm-hmm. And Friends have always kind of been my thing. And that's great, but then, you know, they maybe they all go home to somebody else and I don't. And that and that I don't know how to explain it, but it it feels a little isolating in a way. It's like the sort of guiding light in your life or your friends and that's what I I want to do in the show and I know, you know, the the other executive producers it's like that friendship is those are the ones that that save you and yeah. lift you and they, and that can be your great love story. And like I'm kind of giving my pers- myself permission to feel that way, but other people to to feel that way. And so when Sam, you know, because, you know, when I met my friend Zach and when I met Mary Catherine, I was like very kind of shut down and, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of friends, but not with a lot of, not with the depth I wanted. Yeah. But not with any, I wasn't really willing to do the work yeah. <laughs> necessarily. But both Zach and Mary Catherine just were like, no, no, you're going to do the work. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're, because we see your value and we, we want that from you too, right? And so they kind of broke me down brick by brick, and I feel like that's what Joel does for Sam. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the season, they're sort of wrapped up in each other's world, mm-hmm. right? And he he's single now, she's single, and they're kind of each other's person. Yeah. And But it never really stays that way. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to be like, boy, we're just going to stick with this for a minute because I've got to. <laughs> um, it's it's a fascinating dynamic to be somebody's primary companion mm-hmm. in a platonic way that reaches an intimate level of romantic connection. Yeah. And then when you are somebody who is aligned that way, such as myself, there is in the most sort of like, I guess, cruel way of saying it, there there comes an expiration date Yeah, when that other person is not on the exact same page as you because a romantic sexual partnership is something that like they desire in their life that will then sort of take the place of the intimacy that you share in a platonic connection. Yeah. And you have to just sort of get used to the fact that the rhythm of your life can revolve around that periodic sense of loss. Yeah. Even as you maintain those friendships and those intimate connections, it's like, oh, 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 but right. 
that doesn't get to go forever. So you yeah. become sort of, I, I feel like one becomes accustomed to that cycle. And, and to watch a character, watching this show, I just want to thank you so much for like the permission that a narrative like this gives to people like me and you who don't get a lot of avatars in storytelling for like, as an ace person, like, you know, that's kind of a neat and tidy way to align. But like as a non-asexual person like yeah. yourself, that can still be true. That yeah. your friendship can be like your epic romances of your life. And it's yeah. nice to see something that's like, wow, this is truly reflective of an experience of so many people that I don't I think we lack a language around that kind of intimacy that lets people know like yeah. hey, intimacy is a bigger thing than we allow in a binary heteronormative way for understanding of most of the time but guess what guys we have options for how we can let people into our lives and love them deeply yeah and I, I think that that's it's sort of weird I like I've never really like stopped and thought about it like I know when like we're writing the scripts and some of the stuff that like Sam says is like what I wish I could say or yeah. what I wish I could do there's a scene, I don't want to give anything away, but like where sort of Sam and Joel finally have kind of they have it out. And there's something that Sam says. It's like, you know, you just you you kind of want things to remain in that kind of friendship honeymoon period yeah. forever and acknowledging how it might not be that way and that that can be painful for both parties. Yes. You know, and I. I I think that Sam is somebody who struggles with kind of only seeing things through her own lens. Mm -hmm. And Joel and Trisha are really instrumental in in letting her know that there's other ways of looking at things. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Stick around. More Bullseye Around the Corner from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, our guest is Bridget Everett. She is a comedian and singer. She's also the star of Somebody Somewhere, a semi-autobiographical comedy, the second season of which is airing now on HBO. I feel like the story of Bridget Everett is so much like the story of the relationships you have amassed along the way to make your work and to thrive. Like yeah. you were talking about friends that you have that are in the show. Like it, it sounds like during filming, at least of season one, you lived with, what was it, the Ding Dong Dorm yeah. with Murray Hill and and Jeff Hiller. And obviously with your group, The Tender Moments, you know, you have Ad-Rock in there from Beastie Boys. There's, you know, the connection you made with Amy Schumer. And you have such this like beautiful mosaic of people who you have built up throughout your career to put you in this position where like, oh yeah, I feel like you could walk into any any room in New York City and be like, Bridget Everett, people are like, oh yeah, I love Bridget. Yeah, and just I'm like, like the Kevin Bacon of New York City. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. And I wanted to hear from you about like that real life role of community in your life and getting you, like you said, you're in your 50s now and you have, you're in your second season of an HBO show that you're top lining and the people carrying you through to get you there. Well, first of all, I'm I do feel very fortunate. Like some of the, a lot of the people I've met along the way have kind of like lifted me up and you're like, why are you helping me? And they're like, <laughs> you know, because, but that's what people do, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're like on the bottom for so long scrap and you don't always think about lifting other people up. I mean, now I'm in the position to do that a little more than I was in the day, but, and I, I realize the value of that. But um, this is sort of a, a, first of all, all those people are married that mm-hmm. you just talked about. And I've had sort of a, a friendship romance with a lot of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. With, with all of them, really. Um, met, fell in love as friends. Yeah. You oh know? no, I I am a serial fall in love with friends I person. Think I am. I am too. a serial monogamist of falling in love with yeah. friends. I'm currently falling in love in a new friendship right now, and it's absolutely the best thing in the world. Yeah. Because that's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, it's great. But in some ways, I think it's like I started to feel along the way. It's like friends, friends with everybody, but 
friends with no one in a way. Like, sure. you know, like not necessarily that sort of grand of a statement, but like once I sort of got a taste of like falling in love with a friend, like and how intoxicating that was. <laughs> like, Cosine. I wanted to do it again and again, but mm-hmm. like when they start sort of going off in their relationships, Indeed. you just sort of feel like you're at sea a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, the network of people that you're talking about, it's, I sometimes think I'm like, how did, how did I end up with so many special people in my life? <laughs> well, okay. So then I, you know, getting to that notion of community, mm-hmm. like the show is, it's not biographical, but it is like, it's like Bridget Everett-ish. It seems like, like kind of the story of Sam is a story of Bridget Everett-ish. There are echoes there. Yeah. And like starting your own life in Kansas and coming up, you know, Going through, I think it was a, a scholarship to ASU for opera. Yeah, and then, performance. Yes, yes. Um, it, awestruck by that. And then working in New York City for years and, and building this sort of, it seems like you've really carved your own path specifically. Like, you have made a career out of your assets and talents and personality and persona in a way that it was like, well, if it wasn't ready-made for me, I'm going to make it myself. I wanted to hear about, like, when did you start? Was it always a practice for you, even when you were young and starting out in Kansas, to form that sort of chosen family around you? Or was that something in adulthood where you were like, no, I've got to build my community in this way? I I think it's when I got to New York. I just sort it just sort of it happened because it's very unlike me. Like, I I went to Arizona State because it's like, oh, I got a I got a nice scholarship here. Mm -hmm. You know, I can I can be in a swimsuit. I can mm-hmm. lay by the pool. Yeah, you were you and, were a very competitive swimmer in yeah, high school, I, I, correct? I, I yeah, I swam, you know, competitively there uh, for a year. But, you know, I did it. And, um, you know, I did all the sort of things like the partying and this, that, and the other. But I just – and I have friends there. But, like – but I, when I moved to New York, it was like – I just was like, well, you know, Debbie Harry lived there. And I love Debbie Harry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barry yeah. Manilow, Bette Midler, you know, back in the bathhouses. There might be something there for me. So I just went. <laughs> Yeah. And with no plan, mm-hmm. no whatever. I was like, well, I can, you know, I can wait tables. I can make some money. Yeah. But there's never been any plan for me. There's never been any whatever because I just didn't see anybody kind of not just that looked like me, but yeah. sort of the the persona, the the kind of you know post athletic build, yeah. six, you know, almost six feet tall. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to equity calls to try to get, you know, I wasn't a showgirl. Mm-hmm. I wasn't meant for TV. You know, I didn't have like the TV body face build. Yeah. Any of it. So, yeah. So I think maybe Bette Midler is kind of the closest person to designing your own destiny in yeah. the, in the, the I related to. Um, but then I met, you know, Murray Hill and I met Sweetie, a very influential drag queen mm-hmm. to me since passed away, Kiki and Herb and a lot of different performers. And I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. But I. I also felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Yeah. Like, yeah. and if I hadn't have just moved here for whatever reason, chasing Debbie Harry, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a great thing to chase, you know, and seeing and seeing Hedvig off Broadway and like all these kind of things. I was like, oh my God. And my friend Zach taking me to the squeeze box parties and like all these, it, w- it was just a, a very vital, alive yeah. scene. And I was like, I always felt like kind of too big, too much, too too loud. I always got in trouble for my mouth and mm-hmm. dirty jokes. And then m- moving to a place where that was like an asset and not like a liability. Um, and because I moved to New York and because I found places like Ars Nova and Joe's Pub, which are theaters that, you know, sort of Ars Nova is a place for emerging artists. And my friend Jason Egan 
saw me to karaoke bars, like, you should do a show. And like, just kind of having people see me along the way, you should do this, you should do this. Mm-hmm. Never like, I did not have a roadmap. I did not sit down and be like, well, I I want to do The Tonight Show by a year 2007. Yeah. I want to play this club. I want to do that. Everything's just been like, okay, I'll, I'm sure I'll do that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then... I feel like you hear that from first-time filmmakers all the time. Like, they come out with, like, that surprise yeah. out of the gate, like, Sundance or TIFF or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, we didn't know we weren't supposed to do yeah. it that way. And yeah. there's, such a, there's such an amazing freedom to that rawness of not knowing what you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So you're just going to do it anyway. Well, in a way, this, this show is kind of like that, too, except we had, like, the very steady wise hand of Carolyn Strauss, who's one of our executive producers now. She's done Game of Thrones, Last of Us, Sopranos, <laughs> yeah. like a lot of yeah. things. But she but she sort of has an exacting eye and like mm. kind of always is like more of you, more of you, more of you. And and it's like these people are very smart. <laughs> Like I'm gonna famously <laughs> smart HBO. But you know, HBO came to see me. You know, a lot of people came to see me. Like when I play LA at Largo, or huh. when I play New York Joe's Pub, and oh, we love you. We don't know what to do with you. So yeah. you, anyway, HBO has kind of stuck with me. Yeah, and like really put their money where their mouth was, and really have just kind of leaned into my voice. And like mm-hmm. so, when our show came out, I was like, well, this is the show is not. It's not cool, mm-hmm. you know. But Carolyn kept saying, you know, no, it's I love this show. It's mm-hmm. really good. And I was like, well, she maybe she knows. And she's like, we just have to, people are gonna find it. Anyway, well, maybe you should ask another question again because here I go again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on my tributaries and pituitaries right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually you actually touched on something exactly that I wanted to ask about, which is the notion of the reality of HBO actually backing you. Yeah. And I wanted to hear about like the ex- your experience in your career of like you know the idea of hearing so much of like we can't wait to support you right, right. like people who are so excited to eventually support you yeah. and it's like pay me now then like and, and, and they did and and, and I and I wanted to hear about like what has your experience been like of people being like oh can't wait to support you and but maybe just being like in that constant purgatory place of like what does that mean when you're not actually doing anything for me that's how I, that's how I felt yeah. <laughs> like, yeah what do you mean like it's so, to such a degree that I remember in the early days like people were coming to my show at all the time just like wow you know and, and like I felt like everybody wanted me to be their best kept secret yeah you know? and oh, like yeah and I was like well can you just pass you know slip a note across the desk and tell yes! somebody else you know like help help me yeah you're help the people me. who knows people yeah but and, help me and you mentioned Adam slash you know uh, Ad Rock, you know, he was a founding member of the Tender Moments yep, and he's yep. currently on sabbatical, but he was really instrumental in inviting people to the show. Like he he put his you know the money where his mouth is and yeah. like he even got us to LA. Like he uh-huh. I had no I had nothing. No money. Like got us to LA so we could play Largo and all these people came and you know, it's that kind of thing that eventually changed my life because you know, I go and I have a meeting with HBO with Casey Bloys and Amy Gravit and they were like you know, we we love you. We're excited mm-hmm. about you, and uh, we pitched a pilot with them originally that didn't go and ended up going to Amazon. But then they came back um, when that didn't go with a holding deal, which mm. you know is like when they basically book you for a year. And yeah, like, we reserve the right. We to reserve you. the right, and that is what it took, right? Like, so I called Carolyn Strauss, who's one of the smartest people in Hollywood, who I'd met through Michael Patrick King, who's been another very Another one of those people helping me, like mm-hmm. put me in a Sex and the City movie, did a show with me at Ars Nova called At Least It's Pink, like really has fostered my 
has taught me, has helped me, has nurtured me. And he's the one that introduced, he's like, I think you should know Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Like, who are these people? Who sends him from the heavens? And like, he's like, and he, he thought it would be good for me. He just wanted me to. Now, who knew that when he introduced me to her, that she was going to change my life? Isn't it amazing when you realize that you've met people? Because like, you can get so used to, I feel like, that sort of performance of goodwill. Like, we can't wait to support you, that kind of yeah. thing. And then like, they don't. But they like, are always happy to see you. But then like, you meet the people who really deliver for you. And like, this is what it looks like. Yeah. Like, and, and to meet like, to meet executives who are like, oh my God, I trust you. Yeah. And you want me. And you're going to make this really good. Like, yeah. oh, wow. You're, yeah. you're a unicorn. Well, it's true. And I feel like there is a level of care that comes from the HBO side. Like, obviously, they want to have good programming, that it's a business, they want to run a successful, you know, platform. But what has kind of surprised me mm-hmm. is, like, how much of me they wanted. You know, like, I feel like, and I kind of still can't get over it. Yeah. I kind yeah. of can't believe also that the themes of the show resonate with other people. Because I have kind of felt, in a way, like Sam does, kind of like, adrift in, in in a lot of ways, like sort of like my own kind of island wanting to connect with people, wanting to feel special, wanting to to know that there's value in my contributions. Mm-hmm. Like that, Sam and I connect on that very basic level. Yeah. And I had no idea that that would make an interesting TV show. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that that is kind of at the core That's at a great. lot of things, at core at a lot of TV shows is people wanting to be loved. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I just thought in the way that we were telling it, like the slow sort of mm-hmm. steps. Very naturalistic. Very naturalistic. But, you know, I was just uh, taking a pass on a, a scene last night. I'm sitting in my hotel room. You know, we're just tossing around ideas for season three. Should mm-hmm. we be so lucky? And I'm just like sitting on the couch crying, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like th- there's still a part of me that's like sort of not understanding that I'm actually doing this show at yeah. all. and. You're just sort of there with your computer and you're writing stuff out. And, well, I would say it like this. And I bet Trisha would say it like that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, like, keep writing until I start crying. I'm like, that, that's probably it. Send. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoa. We tapped in. I'm going to send that one off. That feels like I've refined the yeah. idea. Or until I, like, start giggling. Yeah. And, I'll, like, <laughs> and I'll, like, call Carol. And I'm like, this is this is stupid, right? This is dumb. <laughs> just, and she starts giggling. And I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's, let's send it over to Paul and Hannah and see what they think. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guest is Bridget Everett. She's the star of the HBO series Somebody Somewhere. When you were talking about, you know, working with the HBO team and and the show creators, like, and and the the invitation for more of you, Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear about that, you know, for somebody who has made a career out of more, out of sort of the biggest possible with, like, your stage shows and and with the, you know, Bridget Everett and the Tender Moments and just, like, body sort of fearless yeah, that presentation. More, that more is, like, plunging necklines. Yes. Beaver tails going at full speed. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a, that's that kind of more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and so I wanted to... I was lucky to have Eureka O'Hara on Feeling Scene. And, and one of the things that we talked about with sort of how she moves through the world, is she was like, you know, the thing I think about constantly is how much space I take up in the world. She's over six feet tall. Yeah. She's big as life. And she is constantly having to think of the world in terms of like, how do I get comfortable in a space that's not physically or like existentially built yeah. for me? Yeah. And with sort of bigness being such a part of your persona, but then wanting the smaller, perhaps quieter things to be pulled from you as well 
to add to a more fuller picture of the idea of more Bridget. I wanted to hear from you about like, what does that allow you to do when you are invited to be the most or more of you when you're already so used to being so big in certain ways all the time? Well, I think that some, you know, it's that that bigness to me, like it was a long time to feel like to create kind of something on stage that was all about like, I'm big. Deal yeah. with it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also hoping that people saw with my comfortability mm. on stage in my body in that way that it would somehow sort of unlock them a little bit, mm. you know. But it's also probably a defense because I'm like, well, people like that, but they're not going to like what they see underneath. Totally. Yeah. You know, they're not going to want this. Who wants this? Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, in some ways, it's like when my friends would move on to romantic relationship, maybe I took it personally. Like, I wasn't enough. Like, I wasn't holding their interest or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it does take a toll. That becomes part of your fabric, too. And you start to internalize it in in every way. So when I moved to New York, I guess I'm just sort of thinking about now. It's like, I guess I just moved there. And, like, it's like, well, maybe you'll love this part of me. You know, love the big one that can, you know, laugh alongside herself and try to make you feel good. You know, I I think that— yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think you did. No, I think you did. And and that that leads me to ask about like is what came first for you when you started doing a lot of live on stage work? Did confidence lead you or did performance of confidence lead to a generation of confidence within you? I feel like it has to be the second, the okay. latter, because the confidence catches up to me when I'm like two and a half songs in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like it happens every time I come out, I sing, you know, right before I go on stage, I'm like, what am I doing? Why do I do this? Like, but I know that I know that I'm good at it. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep signing up for it. Yeah. But it's the day of that I've just, it's like this sort of self kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm just shoring up energy. And the way I do that is by sort of giving myself a talking to, which is totally unhealthy. But then. <laughs> But then to come out on stage, you know, do the opening number, I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? And yeah. then I sing the second song, and I'm like, I know why you're here. Yeah. And, I, and the third song, sit down. I got some more to say. You know? Yeah. yeah. Don't you think you're going anywhere? Yeah. And I do. And I feel like the show, as much as I want it to transform other people, I feel like it does that for me every single time. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be. Not like everybody has their thing that's going to sort of keep picking them up and pushing them forward. Yeah. And for me, it's these shows in a lot of ways. Yeah. It feels like I can really let it rip. And it's like, I can be the person who's too much. I can be the big, you know, the big tits flopping around. I yeah. can do all that, but people love it. Yeah. <laughs> people love it. But then, you know, there's like that famous movie star who says like, well, they want to go to bed with blah, 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 but do they want to wake up with so-and-so? You know, like, yeah, yeah. like it's, I'm not saying I want to take anybody home from my show. I'm just meaning like, but what if they saw the real me? Mm-hmm. But they're, when I do my shows at Joe's Pub in New York, I do it with my band. It's a little different than the show I do on the road. But I stop and, you know, we tell, like, I do more stories and I, like— Yeah, spoken it gets, word. It gets, it gets more personal. And I allow people to see more of me. And, you know, I do, like, a whole song and a story and ballad. And then, you know, they I got a stand ovation in the middle of the show after doing that because I think people appreciate seeing— the tender underbelly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the tender moment. Yeah, you literally the tender moment. And I, you know, I when they were like standing there clapping, I'm like, oh, there's cause I'm on TV. And I'm like, it's not because I'm on TV, it's because <laughs> Jesus, Bridget, like they, <laughs> Jesus, they just Bridget. they they just enjoyed that. And like <laughs> and like, you know, I and stop I'm, stealing defeat from the jaws yeah. of victory here. <laughs> and as long as I've been doing this, you know, sometimes and it did it make me, you know, I, I felt very emotional in that moment because I was like, just Stop doing this to yourself. Yeah. You know, listen. Listen to them. They're listening to you. Now you listen to them. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Has it been a process of getting, like when you say like, no, Bridget, they're here because they like it. Yeah. They enjoy it. Has Listening to the crowd in that way and then listening to yourself in turn in the positive reinforcement sense, has that gotten easier over the years? Or do you find it still like, a, no, I've, I've got to keep checking myself to remind myself. I've got to fight the sort of inside voice that tells me like, no, well, no, no, they're, they, they accidentally stumbled in. No, I, I think it's gotten easier. I, I think that, the of course, there's like the the backslide of the pandemic and then, oh. like, and then doing a show of where you sort of. Talk about, like, your most personal. <laughs> you know, those things have kind of played a number on me. I, I just sort of was talking to somebody the other night, and I was like, I feel like I'm, like, finally coming out of this, like, depression. You know, maybe it was a pandemic. I was like, was it the pandemic, or is it, like, for the last four years, working on all these scripts in this show and con- and doing interviews and talking about things mm-hmm. that are, like, personal and painful? Maybe maybe that sort of that lingers with me throughout the day. Yeah, you know? that would be com- completely fair. Um, Coming on the back of lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to come out of lockdowns and really mine my yeah. pain. And, you know, and, like, and sort of thinking about, like, because, you know, my sister has passed away and, like, mm-hmm. and I didn't really grieve her properly, mm-hmm. I suppose. And so doing the show, it's sort of, like, living with that every day and then, like, you know, just sort of... I don't know, not mani- not having the release of the live shows because we just yeah. didn't really do them to kind of to kind of pick me back up. And it's not like you sh- I should need to do a show to feel good. It just there's just a supercharge you get from it that you yeah. can't really get anywhere else. And when you've been getting that for ten years and it just sort of goes away or fifteen years, you're just like, okay, um. all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, right. I guess I'll. I guess I'll watch another episode of Bake Off and see if that does the trick. <laughs> well, it's just mild, polite show and see yeah. how that puts me back together yeah. again. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Diablo 4. Final Fantasy 16. Street Fighter 6. Baldur's Gate 3. Starfield. Spider-Man 2. Master Detective Archives Raincoat for Nintendo Switch. No, is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) It's a huge time for video games. You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click a video game podcast for anyone who likes games. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening to Jordan Cruciola's interview with Bridget Everett. And so moving toward the end of the conversation, like a thing I wanted to come back to was like when we were talking about like being on stage and like the like you said, the surge that comes from that. And yes, the validation that comes to that. And you were like, maybe I shouldn't need this. But what it provides for me is something vital to expression and to maybe sort of like processing and dealing with life. And then you know, uh, I think an important thing that happens in that we see in season one of somebody somewhere is walking into the church for the first time. And it's like, uh, no, 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 no. Get get me out of here. Yeah. I can't be in a place like this. And I wanted to talk about the construction of salvation for oneself, mm-hmm. like in the way Sam has allowed places that carry the implication of a belief or a lifestyle that she doesn't subscribe to, like going into a church and then finding such a home, singing in this place with these strangers that become a family for her. I wanted to hear about in your own life, you know, constructing salvation out of perhaps unconventional places or people or locations that allow for you to have that sort of like spiritual reconnection and nourishment that we see like stereotypically in the notion of church. But what has that been like for you? Well, I think it has to happen on accident it has to happen Mm. uh because if i'm like ever 
told about something or, you know, like like in the way in which Sam walks into that church and like, you know, Joel's kind of knocked her off her axis, you know, and yeah. like sort of, so she kind of goes somewhere reticently. Is that the right use of that word? Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then sort of accidentally being taken by the moment. Like that's kind of how things have evolved for me and it yeah. can happen most easily for me. Like, you know, when I came to New York I, and I met my friend Zach when I was looking for this this guy uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that I had, had a brief, you know, whirlwind really, you know, uh, thing with. Anyway, but I but the, the the upside of that was I met my friend Zach and he like took me to a show and he took me to to see Kiki and Herb for the first time and and just like everything he was doing was kind of like just a just sort of walking me into it. Mm-hmm. Kind of just like no big deal. Mm-hmm. Like kind of a surprise. And for me everything kind of just has to pop up. Because otherwise I'll overanalyze and I'll just be like, well, and I'll just, I'll tell myself the ways in which I'm not going to like it Uh or the way it's not going to benefit me or the way it's going to, I guess I constantly live in, in fear, which doesn't really make sense if you see me as a performer, but I just constantly sort of, I'm afraid of getting hurt in in whatever way that might be. So I just sort of have to be like, well, let's let's do this. My friends know. They know like they want me to do something. Uh, and we'll try this. You know, you know, the, it's it's almost like it's almost a joke. I'm sure they all joke about it on the side. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't, just, just sort of bring her. Don't say anything. Don't do yeah. it. <laughs> She'll thrive, but just don't tell her about just it. Don't, just, just don't. Yeah, <laughs> let it always be a surprise party for Bridget. Yeah, and what a you know, a lot of that's got to be a lot of missed opportunities for myself. But you know, we get where we need to go when we get there, and I'm not really in any rush. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy enough. Considering. The opportunities that you have seized and that you have made for yourself, I can't imagine how you could have jammed more seizing of opportunities into your story to have made more of. I mean, my God, like you've created a force of nature just from whole cloth. When you put it that way, that's that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I that is I think we've hit our hour mark. So I I just want to say something for the people at home. And I hope you keep this because your colleague got whisked away to jury duty. (laughs) And you just did all this, you know, by the seat of your pants and like, I don't know how much prep time you have, but what a great, what great questions and what thoughtful uh, engagement. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, I so appreciate you. And I, I loved your episode of Feeling Seen. When your name was thrown out there, I was like, oh, my God, I talked to Bridget again. Like, <laughs> I was I was especially nervous about it, not because of the short prep time, but because it was like, but I had so much fun the last time. It has to be at least as good. And I wanted to be able to live up to what I enjoyed so much the first time. So it was been an honor to discuss this all with you. Well, thank you. This has been a, what a great start to the day. Bridget Everett, her TV show, Somebody Somewhere, is absolutely wonderful. It is such a great show. Uh, you can watch both seasons of it on HBO. Also, huge thanks to Jordan Cruciola for stepping up and interviewing Bridget on short notice. Uh, I had jury duty. <laughs> what can I say? I was over at the old criminal courthouse in downtown Los Angeles. Jordan Cruciola's show is Feeling Seen. As we have mentioned before, it's a chance for guests to talk about the first time they saw themselves in a movie character. Bridget was on Jordan's show one time. It was a really great conversation. And she picked the character Rudy from the movie Rudy. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. 
at our office, our colleague Marissa saw a car drive all the way onto the sidewalk and knock over an iron fence. Uh, but everybody was fine. No one injured, except the fence. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Dan just texted me a photograph of my business card from when this whole show was a one-man operation in my apartment in Koreatown. Uh, Our theme song is by The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation, thanks to them and to Memphis Industries, their label. Uh, Bullseye is on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there, follow us. We will share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.